Deanie was written by Judy Bloom and published in 1973, and it didn't take long for it to come under fire from many organizations and communities or to be banned by many schools and libraries. Last week was Banned Books Week, so the timing couldn't be better for this discussion about Deanie on the SSR podcast. Deanie was controversial because of its references to masturbation, but it's about so much more than that. It's the story of a middle schooler named Wilma Dean Fenner, aka Deanie, who is learning all kinds of things about her body and the world. Deanie's mom has been pushing her daughter toward a career in modeling since Deanie was a literal infant. But when Deanie is diagnosed with scoliosis, all of those plans suddenly seem like much less of a sure thing. Our main character must process her own feelings about her diagnosis, along with her roller coaster relationship with her mother. Deanie is rethinking her dreams, figuring out how to fit in at middle school with her new brace, and just trying to be as normal as possible. We all know how hard middle school can be. On episode 165, my guests and I get into the good, the bad, and the ugly of Deanie, both the book and the character herself. We discuss the way Judy Bloom depicts the health class and sex ed scenes that so many other authors manage to make cringy and awkward. We talk about the evolving nature of the modeling industry and of society's collective attitudes about modeling. We really take a deep dive into Deanie's complicated, potentially toxic relationship with her mother and do our best to practice empathy for everyone involved. I present perspectives from essays that I found online that were written by people who were also diagnosed with scoliosis as children. We wrap things up with a fascinating conversation about unlikable characters and by attempting to answer a big question. Do we like Deanie? This week, Haley Krischer is back on the podcast. She was a guest for New Reads November 2020, and it was fun to have the chance to chat with her about a throwback book this time. Haley is an author of two young adult novels, Something Happened to Allie Greenleaf and The Falling Girls, which is out today. She loves writing about dark, flawed, unlikable female characters. Haley has been a journalist for more than 20 years. She's a regular contributor to the New York Times, where she's written about teenage girls and women. Haley has interviewed Essie Hinton, Celine Dion, Gabrielle Union, and Tatum O'Neill. Doesn't that mean that I've interviewed those people, according to the transitive property or something? Anyway, you can find Haley on Instagram and Twitter at Haley Krischer, and I hope you do. Learn more about her and her work at HaleyKrischer.net. Thanks, Haley, for joining me again. Speaking of joining, there are a lot of ways for you to get involved with the SSR community these days, and I hope you'll consider it. Recently, I was joking with a friend from the podcast family about the fact that, if you wanted to, you could probably find something SSR-related to do or engage with just about every day. Transparently, that was never part of my plan in the early days, and it's so cool to see it happening now. We kicked off another month of free book clubs in the SSRBC last week. In October, our brilliant volunteer co-leads are facilitating discussions about Nevermore and the first book in the Gallagher Girl series via Facebook, Slack, and Zoom. The SSR Book Club community is very warm and fuzzy and very fun and, again, totally free of cost. Learn more and join us at www.ssrpodcast.com slash ssrbookclub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community. We had a very exciting development in the SSR Patreon community over the last week as well. I am happy to announce that SSR is now on Discord and that all patrons have access to it. You can come on board as a patron for as little as a dollar per month. There are a lot of great rewards available to patrons at various levels, and I already have a feeling that Discord is going to be a fantastic addition. Get all the info at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. Thanks to all of the current Patreon sponsors listening now. Your contributions every month help make the podcast possible, and I'm not just saying that. We all love the feeling of directing our dollars towards small businesses instead of giant corporations, and Libro.fm makes that possible for audiobook lovers. The audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, then use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Why not treat yourself to some great new audiobooks? You deserve it. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. 
You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Haley. Welcome back to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to see you again. It's been about a year since we last recorded an episode. It is. And this time I am I can't wait to dig into Dini with you. I rereading it as an adult is just blown my mind. Yes, it's a ride. So listeners, for context, Haley was last on SSR for a New Reads November episode in 2020, which I'll be sure to link to in the show notes for this episode. But Haley, I'm curious, sort of like big picture, what was it like to read a throwback book for this episode as opposed to our conversation last year, which was about a brand new YA title? You know, it's always interesting to read something from your childhood as an adult. And so it just brings up and also because it's so dated in a lot of ways in a lot of ways it's not but there's a special place in my heart for dini and so it's a little it's it's a little more special reading uh, reading grown last year was fantastic and discussing it with you i was so grateful to be able to just delve in and tear it all apart but yeah this is this is really special i'm excited to talk about this with you Well, I'm excited to have you here. Um, As we know now, we're talking about Judy Bloom's Dini, which was published in 1973. And to kick things off, Haley, can you tell me a little bit about why you wanted to read this book? You know, um, I mean, Judy Bloom is, of course, the iconic YA writer. And, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And Judy Bloom's books were, were so instrumental to who I was. And, you know, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. And... Blubber. There's so many books written by Judy Bloom forever. Um, You know, there's so many books written by her that just changed the way that I think that kids read because she is able to to really sort of show the ugly side of children. And in a way where you're you see yourself in it. And so I think even though there are parts of Jeannie where I don't relate to that she had scoliosis, but the scoliosis is just sort of like a symptomatic of the book. You know, there's definitely, of course, she has a disability, but it's sort of just, to me, the story is about Jeannie and her her mother and her mother's expectations and about her and getting to know her body. And I think that that is just such a universal theme for any kid. You know, that's why I wanted to revisit it. And I haven't stopped thinking about it. And then at Megan Abbott, of course, who's like one of my favorite authors, she wrote a book called The Fever a number of years ago, and her main character was Deanie. And so it just is, I feel like it's one of those books that influenced a lot of people. Do you have any memories of reading it when you were growing up? Or do you just sort of more broadly remember Judy Bloom as part of your childhood reading diet? Oh, I definitely remember reading Deanie. And feeling like very sorry for her that she was going through this, um, that she had scoliosis and that she, you know, for people who don't, who haven't read it, she has to wear a brace. You know, and I tried to imagine, you know, wearing a brace and what that would be like and how, you know, she would say that swimming was the only place that made her feel comfortable because she could take the brace off. But I also think that there's just, yeah, it's just such a, there's so many things about it that just felt very relatable. So the book was published in 1973. And I I honestly don't think I read it when I was a kid. I mentioned this in an Instagram story the other night. And I also just shared this with Haley before and I won't go into the details. But listeners, I did read this a few years ago, because there was supposed to be an episode of the podcast about Deanie back in 2018, like within a few weeks of the podcast launching. And I recorded the episode. And for a variety of reasons, the episode was never released. It's the only lost episode of SSR. 
So while I didn't read this when I was a kid, I did read it when I was like a little baby podcaster back in 2018. And I was really bummed when I wasn't able to release the episode. For the record, it was not like a banned book situation. I wasn't like not releasing the episode because the book has to do with some, you know, often banned topics. But I, I'm I was really sad it couldn't be released because I, it was an exciting book to talk about in the format that I was dreaming up for the podcast. And at the same time, I'm actually kind of happy that it worked out this way because I'm not sure that I was ready to tackle the book in the way that I maybe would have wanted to back then. Like I, I remember feeling like I was so ready for that interview and that I like knew exactly how I wanted to go about discussing some of these subjects. And I'm sure it would have been fine, but I feel much more prepared this time around. And I think even the experience of rereading it with like my podcaster's eye just three years later, it felt different. And I felt like I was more tuned into certain parts of it. So I'm very excited to talk about this with you. Um, I know you said that you're so excited to talk about it. And there's so many different directions we can go. So where where do we want to go first? I'll hand it over to you. Where should we go? Should we do like Deanie's diagnosis? Should we talk about her relationship with her mother? Should we talk about the health class stuff? Like where do we even begin? Well, I know everybody, when they talk about Deanie, the first thing they want to talk about are the masturbation scenes. Yes. And so I'm kind of feeling like, let's just go for it because people have said to me when I told them I was coming on your podcast to talk about Deanie, someone told me, oh, I um, wasn't, I, that book was like banned in my Catholic school and someone else got in trouble for reading it. It's so funny. I think it's because of the way that I grew up and my mom was like, so like self-love and love yourself. And, <laughs> you know, I don't, it wasn't like the, that part stood out in such a, you know, crazy way to me. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. It, it didn't really affect me like that. I remember thinking about it. I remember more thinking about other things in the book, but it's so awesome that Judy Bloom was like, yeah, this girl's in middle school. She's starting to understand her body. And at the same time, as her body is like talking to her, you know, like really like, like literally with the feelings that you have and hormones at the same time, her body is almost betraying her because she's like got this crazy dichotomy where she wants to get to know her body more yet. She has to be in a brace. And so there's just this incredible, um, you know, push pull that I think is just fantastic. And I think her, I, I think that there's that masturbation scenes, first of all, are not even graphic. It's like, literally, she just says, I touch myself in my special place. It's like, I very well may have glossed over that when I read this book. Entirely possible that I was like, I don't know what that means. Maybe it's just no. You know, like I... Well, it doesn't take up a lot of page space. I mean, I do think like having never read this book when I was a kid and then realizing as I got older and preparing for that first interview that will never be heard I understood at that point that like Deanie was quote the like Judy Bloom masturbation book and so I was ready for it to like handle masturbation in the same way that forever handles your experience losing your virginity which is much more graphic and it really sort of infiltrates like every scene of that book and I can link to that episode in the show notes as well listeners we covered forever a few years ago but it really is it doesn't take up that much room in the book, there's maybe two or three moments where Deanie kind of refers, as you mentioned, to her special place. I pulled out one of them and I'll share it. She says, I turned away from the kitchen door and ran back to my room. As soon as I got into bed, I started touching myself. I have this special place and when I rub it, I get a very nice feeling. I don't know what it's called or if anyone else has it, but when I have trouble falling asleep, touching my special place helps a lot. And I think the other mention that we get sort of from Deanie's perspective about this is very similar to that. And then the only other time it really comes up is in this like pretty clinical way in health class. And I actually really appreciated the way that Judy Bloom handled that as I appreciate the way Judy Bloom handles so many other things. But Deanie sort of decides that she's going to submit an anonymous question about this when they start opening up the floor for questions about like sex ed and that sort of thing. She says, do normal people touch their bodies before they go to sleep? And is it all right to do that? 
And this health teacher is very cool. Like like all of the health so teachers cool. in Judy Bloom's books, this health teacher like debunks the myths, encourages the students to use the proper word, masturbation is like, this isn't a word to be afraid of. And it was so smart that Judy, I always like to call her by her first name in Judy Bloom episodes. It was so smart that Judy decided to, to bring the subject matter into the book that focuses on a girl who's been diagnosed with scoliosis because Unfortunately, one of the like biggest pieces of misinformation myths about masturbation is that if you touch yourself, if you masturbate, you will develop some deformity. And so I think it was so smart that we even had this like very quick moment where Jeannie's classmates are asking these questions about like, oh, I heard that if you do that, something bad will happen. And Jeannie has that spark where she thinks that the two could be connected. And the health teacher is able to debunk that almost immediately, which I thought was a really smart move on Judy Bloom's part. Absolutely. And I, I love that she I love that she is is so open about it. That's the thing about her. Her characters and Margaret is the same way, right? Like you're you are innocent at that time. You don't know, you're not talking about it with your friends necessarily. I think kids today definitely are talking about that kind of stuff a lot more. And they're very open about it. I know boys are, at least I know, I definitely. Because <laughs> you, you have boys, right? I have a 17-year-old and a 12-year-old. Okay. Girl, 12-year-old girl and a 17-year-old boy. And I I know that the boys, you know, because they're not very shy about talking about that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's actually good. I feel like that's what Judy Bloom taught us that this stuff is okay to talk about and that kids should be talking about it and they want to talk about it because they have questions and it's kind of nice that she just kind of throws it in there a few times that this is part of Deanie is a coming of age that she's exploring herself i think again i know i keep saying this but it just i think that that's again why it's so relatable even though you have this girl with a disability that you know, and is wearing a brace, I, I think, I don't know, is scoliosis a disability? It might not entirely be. I was wondering about that as I read, like, as a quick aside, I, I was really kind of, I wasn't sure how I felt about the language around scoliosis. I don't, I don't really know what the proper language is yeah. in 2021. I certainly don't know if we would look at the language that was used around scoliosis in 1973 and think that it was kind of in keeping with what's appropriate now. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good question. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my guess is that it's probably a disability while you are active, especially as you're growing and you grow, you know, so quickly and you have those growth spurts. I mean, like she said, she couldn't jump as, you know, as high and she couldn't stand, you know, her posture, her skirt was on crooked. But anyway, just back to the, you know, part about exploring your body and just, she's just, you know, Jody Bloom is just was the is the master at that and she opened the door for so many of us to as readers but also as writers and you know i think that i i don't know if i would classify these as sex scenes but you know because i think a good sex scene is really whether it's with yourself or somebody else is when you're going into more detail not necessarily detail about body parts but about your feelings. And so she she really touches on some of that by saying that Deanie uses this to help her sleep at night. Like, you know, I can't wait to, to touch on her mom and maybe we should talk about that next. But the level of anxiety that's going on in that house, I'm like, I would be masturbating like 700 times a day if that's what she's using to calm down because this poor kid. She needed every coping mechanism that she had access to. I mean, I just wish that like we can like go back in time and give her some like Zoloft because I just or give mom like a Klonopin because oh. Oh, Aunt Ray. There's a lot of adults that are um, just so hypercritical, and it's just it's uh, it it really just woof. Yes, I do want to talk about Ma as Dee calls her mother, but before we do that, I do want to note that of course this subject of masturbation in the way it's represented. Indini has caused quite a bit of controversy for this book, as as happens with many of our girl Judy's books. 
It's been banned in many schools, in many communities, in many libraries over the years. I did find one article in the Associated Press that was written in Lawrenceville, Georgia in 1985. And I'll link to it in the show notes as I always do listeners. But it's just an article about how the sales for the book Dini soared after it was banned from the school libraries. And it talks about like the statistics of how all the local bookstores like couldn't keep it in stock once the school announced that it wouldn't be available to students anymore. And one bookstore manager said, that's what happens when they start banning books. Everyone wants to read them. That's right. They never learn. Never. (laughs) Never learn. And it's such a, I mean, it's such a great book for so many reasons for people to actually talk about with their kids if their kids are reading it. It's just really such a shame that it was ever banned. But good to hear that people were still running out and getting it because those banned books lists are just ridiculous. Also worth noting that Dini was included on the American Library Association's list of the 100 most frequently challenged books of 1990 to 2000 Hmm. at number 46. Hmm. I don't know if I feel like that's higher or lower than I would have expected. But again, this book came out in 1973, and it's still at number 46 on this list in the 90s. So that's kind of wild to think about, just especially like considering everything else that must have come out in the years between 1973 and 1990, like this book was still being challenged. So, And you know why? Because it's YA. Because the stuff that I was reading in the 80s, like I was reading Flowers in the Attic, that wasn't a YA book, but everybody I knew was reading that book. That was YA along with The Outsiders. I mean, those were the books that we were reading. So if you look at like a challenged book, that should be a challenged book. Yes, that's for sure. Um, So let's move on to a conversation about Ma. And I want to open that conversation by actually reading the opening paragraphs of this book, because I think it really sets us up for what we're dealing with with Deanie and her mom. So excuse any page turning listeners. We're going to have a little story time. Mm -hmm. My mother named me Deanie because right before I was born, she saw a movie about a beautiful girl named Wilma Dean, who everybody called Deanie for short. Ma says the first time she held me, she knew right away that if she named me Deanie, I would turn out the same way. Beautiful, that is. I was only four hours old then, and it took me almost 13 years to find out what really happened to the Deanie in the movie. She went crazy and wound up on the funny farm. Ma says I should just forget about that part of the story. So, of course, before we go any further, I want to note that, of course, the word crazy, the phrase funny farm, problematic. I'm certainly not suggesting that these are words that we should be using to discuss mental health. This was a book written in 1973, and these are unfortunately Judy Bloom's words from 1973. But setting that aside, this is what we are getting about Deanie and her relationship with her mother and her mother's expectations of her from the time she is four hours old. She wants Deanie to be beautiful. What are your thoughts, Haley? (laughs) Oh my God. I I underlined so many things about this book and so many of the pressures that her mother put on her. And on page four, she says specifically that my mother wants me to be a model with all my face on the magazine covers. Um, A teenage model has to make it by the time she's 17 if she's ever going to make it big. And the thing that really scares me is I'm not sure I want to be a model. And, you know, I think that just for some context, it's really important for people to know that um, during the 70s and probably still the 80s and most definitely the 50s and 60s, there was a company called Barbizon and it was a very um, like a modeling company like McDonald's. Like there was a Barbizon on every corner. I don't know why. But they sold you this, instead of selling you fries like McDonald's would, they would sell you this idea that you are going to become the next model. You can like, you know, um, learn how to do runway walks. You can, you know, get your photo taken. It cost an enormous amount of money. And I knew a lot of girls in high school who went to Barbizon because they were going to be a quote unquote model. It really wasn't until like the 1990s when supermodels came about that I think Barbizon probably had a hard time like selling their little modeling package because people were like, well, obviously I'm not (laughs) going to be Naomi Campbell. Right. There was this idea that you could become a model too. You'll also have to remember that there was a lot of print catalogs, tons of print catalogs out there 
to sell clothing. Everything that we see on the internet, imagine getting a catalog for every single one of those things. You could not buy J. Crew at a mall. You had to get J. Crew from a catalog. So there were modeling jobs for people for catalogs. It was a huge thing. And you were like, hey, I just got this modeling job for Sears or what some Sears would be like a top of the line modeling gig, right? But like I knew people who were getting modeling gigs for a hundred dollars to like you know, be in some school clothing catalog. And that was a big deal. You were then considered a model. You were like a real official model because you got paid to be in some little catalog. And so I think that that's a really important thing for people to remember because they're not talking. Deanie's mom is not thinking that Deanie's is going to be on the cover of Vogue. I don't think. I think that she maybe she is because she's got such big dreams for her. But I yeah. think at least that there is a level that that this is something she can achieve because she's so beautiful. And like, let's take pictures of her and have all, you know, all these you know things done so that she can step into the modeling world. Yeah, that's so interesting. I actually, as you're saying this, I think it's worth noting, like our whole culture around modeling has changed yeah. to your point. I mean, of course, the 90s really ushered in the era of the supermodel. But I think even now in 2021, like, I think that you have your supermodels, like you have your Gigi's and your Bella's, and I'm sure many others. I'm not as tapped into the supermodel world as maybe others. But I think the, the rise in influencer culture has changed the way that we think about modeling and has probably changed the relationship that a lot of young people have to the possibility of becoming a model. Because really, anybody can be a model to some degree now like anybody who makes their living as an influencer making brand deals to whatever scale is a model and i think that like it is worth remembering that there was a different sort of cachet to being a model in the 70s in the 80s in the 90s whereas now i think it's almost like oh okay like sure anybody anybody can like theoretically model clothes on instagram but this whole industry has seen so many different iterations and i think you're right like catalog modeling is something that it's sort of a lost art i mean i i used to love getting catalogs when i was a kid it was like the best time when all of the catalogs would land on the same day it was like there goes my weekend and now we don't have that at all i guess people model for websites but that's not there it's yeah. a very it's a much smaller, smaller group yeah. of people and i sort of feel like brands pick like one or two people to be the face of their brand per season and you see the same faces on the website for a particular brand so yeah, I think that that's really good context for the world in which Dini is growing up. And I also think it's important to remember, and this is something that I didn't really think about until after I finished the book and was reviewing my notes. When Dini was born, she had an older sister already. Her sister Helen was born and Helen at that point had already sort of been identified as the brains. There are a few other important pieces of context with this family. So we get a lot of hints about the fact that they are maybe not struggling financially, but certainly like middle, lower middle class. So she's born into this family where there's already an older sister who, while we don't know this for sure, maybe isn't like the most beautiful, but is very smart. This family doesn't have a ton of money. The parents work really hard. I'm not entirely sure what's going on with the mom. I don't think we find out, but we do know that she can't drive. Her mom's best friend, Aunt Ray, comes and like has to pick her up and take her everywhere. So clearly something has happened maybe health-wise with the mother at some point where she's become pretty limited. She is in charge of everything at the house. She's sort of like the most controlling kind of like housekeeper that you can imagine. And so there's like a lot of things in the mix when Deanie is born that are fueling her mom's dreams about her. And then she just happens to be like this super cute, beautiful little girl. And I actually was thinking, I was thinking about the fact like, I don't know that we ever get a super clear description of what Deanie looks like. Did I miss that? Or did I think maybe that was an intentional choice on the author's part? Like, I don't even know what color hair Deanie has. You know, it's so funny because I remember the old cover of Deanie where she was like looking in the mirror and she had brown hair and it was like painted and looked like one of those romance novel covers and she was you know looking at her body and her reflection but 
otherwise I don't think there's any um, description that she's it's just that she's quote unquote beautiful mm-hmm. um, and expected to have all those feminine quote you know those sort of very feminine qualities and try out for cheerleading and be a model and get by on her looks which is just a very you know it's it's something that people definitely thought of um and parents thought about and they haven't stopped thinking about i mean let's face it there are plenty of parents who still put their kids in pageants and you know and make them look like adults you know for a reason this isn't completely obsolete this idea of selling her her daughter's face you know and i think that mom is or ma I think it seems to me like she's got severe, severe anxiety, which is why she can't drive and why she's so worried about Deanie, especially because she seems to think that if Deanie is beautiful, then she also can't be smart. There's just no thought or thinking about it, that that's already designated for the older daughter. But there's a scene where Ma goes into the doctor's office with Deanie the doctor is telling her what's happening about the scoliosis. And this is after multiple doctors. And this is after Ma has already accused her of faking her slouching or causing herself scoliosis. It's entirely possible Ma didn't go to college or maybe somehow might not be the most educated person. But Ma starts, she just like exhibits all this intense narcissistic behavior. She just starts hysterically crying. She can't handle it. All of her dreams for her daughter are just completely wrecked. And the doctor's like, don't listen to your mother. Just listen to your dad. And mom, I forget exactly what he tells her, but he tells, the doctor tells her everything is going to be okay. Just wear this brace and you'll be fine. But, you know, I know like I sound like I'm attacking Ma so much because she's such an unlikable character. I, I want to say that I also think that, you know, she's worried about her daughter's future, right? Like it's 1973, the women's movement is just happening or just happened. And she's concerned about her daughter. She feels obviously like if she can't make it in modeling, then what is going to happen to her? Is she going to end up being a housewife like she is and stuck in the house all the time? Is she going to have a dead end job? You know, I don't think she sees that Deanie has this whole bright, brilliant future ahead of her and that this kid is really remarkable and resilient. I have so much to say. I'm so excited about everything you just said because I too had a lot of notes and a lot of thoughts about Ma and a lot of complicated thoughts about Ma. And I'm trying so hard to be empathetic about where she is coming from. And, you know, I I think, first of all, I want to echo what you said about the fact that Ma seems to think that her children can't be both beautiful and smart. Like she's really sorted her daughters into these two boxes. It's very binary. It's very reductive. It's like Helen's smart. She's the brains. Deanie's beautiful. And it makes it very difficult for her mom to adapt as things come up. So it's very difficult for her to adapt when Deanie is diagnosed with scoliosis because as far as she's concerned, that makes her less beautiful. And it's equally difficult for her to adapt at the end of the book when it's discovered that Helen has been dating one of their dad's employees because as far as she's concerned like the smart girl can't have a boyfriend well can't have a boyfriend who works at a gas station because dad owns a gas station yeah or manages maybe or manages and then the kid has dirt under his fingernails so it's not just a boyfriend it's a boyfriend who's in her mind beneath her Sorry to interrupt. No, I'm glad you did. But the girls are are able to identify this because Helen says, it wouldn't bother you if a boy liked Deanie, would it? (laughs) Which is like so true. And mom says, well, God gave you a special brain and he wouldn't have done that if he hadn't intended for you to put it to good use. Mm -hmm. There's this whole other fight that goes on between the three of them, which I thought was really interesting. But Ma, Ma, mom, whatever you want to call her, she sums it up by saying, I wanted better for you, better than what I had for myself. That's what I've always planned for my girls. Is that so wrong? Oh. And I think that there's like, there's some beauty in the way that Judy Bloom is exposing 
the insecurities that these parents have. I always love when we see imperfect adults in, in middle grade and in YA, and we certainly see that here. We see it with both parents, I think. This really is a study in like different ways to deal with crisis. Like Deanie is watching each of her parents handle her diagnosis in a very different way. Her mom, probably less well. I think her dad is is holding it together. And in the end, he admits that he's not really having an easy time holding it together, but he does reveal to Deanie, like, I'm doing my best. Like, this is really difficult. I don't want to make life harder for you, but I'm trying really hard to, like, be strict about certain things because I want to encourage you to, like, keep living your life. So I think that it's really interesting that kid readers, when they pick up this book, have a chance to see, like, okay, this is how two different parents in the same family might handle the same situation. And it might feel very different to the kid who's involved. And yeah, the mom is just, she's, she's fascinating. And I love the way that Deanie perceives what's going on with her mom. Um, at one point she says, while she's observing like all of the time that her mom spends cleaning the house, she says, one thing I'm sure of is I don't want to spend my life cleaning some house like Ma. Sometimes I think Helen's lucky. She'll be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer, and she'll never have to do those things. But if I don't make it as a model, then what? Yes. Then what? It's just, it's so unfair that Deanie doesn't get to have other dreams. I mean, she she's going to because she's such a, it's funny because I wrote this down somewhere, but I'm going to have to remember it because I wanted to say it to you and your listeners. But if she didn't have the scoliosis, she might've been stuck with Ma's dream of being a model and going through all of this and like her mother shoving this dream down her throat and maybe would, you know, just have starting to have all of these, I don't know, like body image issues and, and just have so many other problems that the scoliosis in a way freed her. It saved her. It really did because she was able to then stand up to her mother and say, I don't want this. Stop. She was able to stop tell her Aunt Ray, my beautiful face is not the only part about me. And she, at the beginning of the book, didn't have those abilities. It was only until she got the scoliosis and realized without Judy Bloom shoving it down her throats, how strong she really is. And that's what was so cool about it. I'm not saying that you have to have this kind of plot device, get scoliosis, realize that you're strong. But I, I really liked that it had to do with her body. Like she just kept sticking with this whole issue. My body isn't doing the things that it's supposed to be doing because it's, I've got a curved spine. I'm supposed to be, you know, making a living off of my body, yet I can't because of this brace. But at the same time, I'm learning other things, which we all know that does happen in life when, you know, shit happens and something comes your way that's not always fantastic. You try to do your best, right? And so it's it's such a it's such a huge lesson for her that's really beautiful. And I I, I do want to say, just in defense of Deanie's mom, is that I probably would be crying in the bedroom too. If my daughter had to walk around with a brace for four years in high school, I mean, those are the years that you want to jump around and have a great time and you don't want to be so constricted. And I would be devastated for my kid as well. So I, I'm not taking away from that by saying that her mom is freaking out, but there's just, there's times where you have to, you, you have to be strong for your child. And this woman is just so unable to, to do that. She just just completely falls apart for her. And, you know, hopefully we, we don't really know what happens with Deanie in the next four years, but hopefully her mother is able to come to terms with it. And I think that's what Judy Bloom is pointing us in that direction, that there's a hopeful element. Deanie's accepted the situation. Her mother is telling her truly how she feels that I just want the best for you guys, for my daughters. And I think that there's there's some hope. Well, ultimately, it's as though Deanie's diagnosis has stripped away the thing about her that she has always been told to be most sure of, which mm -hmm. is her beauty. Mm -hmm. And that forces her to take a different look at other parts of herself. It forces the people around her to reconsider kind of what they most value about her, which I'm sure is very difficult as a parent. 
I think that Dini's mom kind of felt like she had it all figured out with her daughters. You know, clearly she comes from a background that maybe was more difficult. She felt more limited for different reasons. And she's looking at her daughters and she was like, I have one really smart one and I have one really beautiful one and let's just lean into this. And that was how she was going to figure it out. And so I agree with you that like, I, I'm trying very hard to have some empathy for her mother because she really just wanted to set them up and she thought she had. And then this news comes about Dini's diagnosis that takes that away. And how are we going to deal with that? I did want to share a little bit from an essay that I found from the LA Review of Books, which was written in 2012 by an author who has scoliosis herself, was diagnosed when she was a teenager. And she writes in the essay about how she loved all of Judy Bloom's books when she was growing up. And Judy Bloom was such a huge part of her childhood, but she refused to read Dini because she felt like she kind of knew what was coming. She didn't want to read about scoliosis when it was something that she was experiencing herself. But she ultimately did read it as a teenager. And I sort of want to present it as like a counterpoint to what you and I are talking about, because I think it's, it's, a, good, it's a good argument from somebody who's actually experienced this. She writes, and I will link the whole essay in the show notes, listeners. In addition, I resented the role the brace played in Deanie's life. In Bloom's story, the brace sets Deanie free. It destroys her domineering mother stereotypes of her as the beautiful one. Because of the brace, Deanie figures out who she is outside of her parents' crushing expectations. This really is the main theme of the book, how parents project their own needs on their children and how destructive that can be. Certainly a universal and important topic to address, but for me, this was heresy. The brace as a liberator? Hell no. The brace taught me I could endure anything with a smile and a fake confident attitude, and it probably prevented my scoliosis from worsening to the point where I needed surgery. Other than that, it was a prison. Oh, God. no, I had to share it because, of I course, this like is such a jerk. No, no, I don't think I didn't mean to make you feel that way at all, because I think that there is value in both elements of this conversation, because there's, of course, the literary piece where I agree 100 percent with what you're saying, that I think like this plot choice made it really easy for us to like watch Deanie strip this like very superficial part of herself away and get to know who she is. And I'm happy that there are women like this author, like talking about what it was like to approach this book from inside the experience of somebody who grew up right. having to deal with these issues. So no, I didn't mean to make you feel like a jerk. Oh, no, no. I, and I'm, I proudly say I'm a jerk because I have not experienced this. And I think yeah. that's part of you know, it's it's almost too bad that they don't have a, a book, um, you know, sort of an edition of with that essay, you know, or a forward from somebody, yeah. you know, who and you know, like her, like this person who wrote that, because I think it would be really welcome to hear that because, yeah, Deanie's like still making out with boys. She's where she's uncomfortable, but you're like, oh, she's she's dealing with it. She seems like she's doing okay. I mean, she, she maybe complains once about how hard it is to sleep, but I mean, of course it's so hard to sleep. She, can she roll over? Can she, does her neck move? Does she have to sleep on her back? Does she have to have a pillow between her legs? You know, there's so many details that we don't know. And, you know, I think um, that definitely, I, I'm so glad that you read that because yeah, it sets her free, but at the same time, that's, obviously not really set in reality. Well, and the good news, and this might make you feel better, Haley, is yeah. that the woman who wrote this essay did read the book again as an adult. And she said, about a week after I finished the book for the second time, it hit me. Judy Bloom was right. The brace may not have freed me the way it did Deanie, but it wasn't my whole story, not by mm -hmm. a long shot. Mostly I had amazing family and friends who often forgot that I wore a brace. They knew as Judy Bloom did that it did not define me. That's right. That's right. And that, I mean, wow. I have the chills from that. Yeah. So I thought that essay was great. I hope listeners will go check it out in the show notes. Yeah. I have to read that whole thing now because that's like, sounds amazing. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the scoliosis of it all, because I think there's a lot for readers to learn from this book. I certainly learned a lot. Of course, the way that we treat scoliosis has changed quite a bit since this book was written. And I do think that they made a few updates, but not many. And Judy Bloom did include a note in the latest edition that basically says like, this is not how scoliosis is treated anymore. And here are a few websites that you can check out for information about what the medical protocols are currently for scoliosis. 
but I think even the matter of fact way in which Judy Bloom describes like this is what happens when you go to a doctor's office. These are the different people that you will meet. You will probably meet a nurse and then you'll meet another doctor and then you'll meet another doctor. And then there will be somebody who comes in and talks to you about this. It felt sort of um, like a step by step, which I think might make young readers feel more comfortable going into a medical situation for any sort of unique thing that they're dealing with medically. It reminded me of this book that my sisters and I had growing up. It was, um, I think it was like Curious George Goes to the Hospital. Oh, yes. I remember that book. Yeah. And we read it so much. And Curious George, I think, swallows a puzzle piece. Yes. And he has to go get an x-ray. And I, I could probably recite some of it to this day, but it talks about like, you know, you'll go to the hospital and you'll check in at the hospital and then they'll give you a certain drink to drink. And then this is what you can expect when you go get your x-ray taken, like really walking kids through every step. Yeah. And I feel like this is an aged up version of that, that spotlights a specific situation with Dini scoliosis, but might offer all kids a little bit of confidence when walking into a medical environment. Yeah. Um, and then she she also talks about um, how the brace was making her have a rash and how she like made a new friend, a girl who was getting this, I, I, maybe she had eczema or she had some allergic reaction hives where she, she called it something like creepy skin or something like that. But she had some sort of skin ailment where it was very red and rashy. Deanie thought, oh my God, I caught it from this girl. I mean, I love how Judy Bloom just like puts out those ugly feelings that everybody has, but you just would never admit it. But, you know, Deanie's like, oh God, I caught this. Now I have the brace, but now I've caught this skin disease too. Like, oh great. And then the doctor's like, no, you just have to wear the t-shirt underneath the brace. <laughs> And like maybe, you know, and it will start rubbing against your skin. But yeah, I, I, I sort of, I, I really love that how she, she, they walk through all of those steps and she, and she talks about how everybody keeps making her bend over and touch her toes. Do you remember that checkup? Yeah, I remember they would do it. That was part of, um, like we had to do it every year at school yeah. in addition to doing it. It was like the, so you would get your eyes checked at school. Yeah. And then you would get a scoliosis test. And those were like the only things that they would do at the school yeah. nurse's office. <laughs> yeah. And lice. You would do, get lice Oh, checks. God, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I really loved in the way that Judy Bloom depicts Deanie's journey to figure out how she's going to deal with her scoliosis is the way her friends respond and the way that Deanie responds to the prospect of potentially getting surgery, which you know, of course, the doctor says you might have to wear a brace, you might get surgery. And the only thing Deanie hears is I'm going to have to get surgery and there's no other option. And this is going to be so dramatic. And her friends very sweetly decide they're going to take her to a department store to pick out like a beautiful nightgown so that she can look pretty when they go visit her in the hospital. And it's like these girls have obviously been watching some soap operas or like reading romance novels. And they're all so disappointed when they find out that she <laughs> has to wear a brace because they have to return the nightgown. Right. They're like, the whole thing is we were so excited just for you to wear this nightgown. Right. See you in it so we can like fantasize that you're <laughs> like wearing a nightgown in your in the hospital. <laughs> And walking down the hallways. Yes, doctor. Yeah. But yes, I love the way her friends. And and she said, stop being like, didn't she yell at them and say, be serious with me or something like, tell me the truth. They're like, we don't know what to say to you. This is, this is bananas to us too. We don't know what to say. I do love the one person who really did not bother him at all is Buddy. The boy that Jeannie's like, you know, busy making out with or whatever. Yeah. You know, hanging out with. He really didn't care about it at all. He's just like, dude, I want to kiss you. And the brace, like, it, it just did not, did not even waver. He didn't waver for a second. Yeah. I mean, I almost wish it had bothered him like a little bit more because there is a weird moment where he like throws her up against the wall and kisses her. And I was like, this is not consensual. <laughs> Yes. So now I'm, of course, I'm oh, walking that line. I know. I'm like, I'm 30 years old. It's 2021. I'm like, we need consent. But I don't think that's what Judy Bloom was trying to illustrate. I think no. she's just trying to show like, this is extremely awkward when you're 13 and nobody's ever kissed you before and you don't know what you're supposed to do. And you don't know what you're supposed to I, I, I also had the same red flag. I was like, oh, buddy, why are you throwing her? 
but I think I, I'm going to take it as buddies, just awkward. Yeah. And didn't know what to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to go with you on that one about buddy. Yeah. He really is into her and he is able to move on past the brace, which was very cool of him, I guess. Um, before we start to wrap up this conversation, I did want to share a little bit about this other essay that I found. It's from a journal called Disability in Kid Lit, which I thought was really interesting. And it speaks to the fact that Dini is not always a likable character, which I don't think is inherently a bad thing. We love a complicated character. We especially love a complicated girl character because I think all too often in older lit, especially girls are expected to be like flawless beings and that's not realistic and it's not a fair standard for readers. But this piece speaks specifically to the way that we see Dini really saying a lot of nasty things about people who have physical challenges and how ultimately her scoliosis is sort of used as a device to like make her more empathetic and that those characters that she was rude to in the beginning of the book were also kind of used as devices. Hmm. So um, I just wanted to share a few quotes from that as some food for thought and you can let me know what you think. This author wrote, although the change in Dini's life as a result of her diagnosis of scoliosis is something I can certainly sympathize with, I found her character problematic. She isn't sympathetic, at least not at first, with her mean-spirited and bitter internal thoughts about other children. The way she thinks and feels about those who are disabled or have even relatively minor health issues, especially prior to her own diagnosis, made me uncomfortable. In the closing chapters of the novel, the tone shifts rather dramatically, with Dini having developed a new understanding for the problems faced by other young people. She now understands what it is like to be different and has far more empathy towards others. However, it is very difficult to reconcile this Dini with the spiteful and almost cruel child of just a few weeks or months earlier. The change is motivated by her scoliosis diagnosis, but occurs far too quickly. While some children might respond to health problems and the knowledge of their own imperfections by an immediate change in their personality, this feels almost like the idyllic world of a fairy tale. Huh. Another perspective that I thought was worth sharing with everyone. I, I don't think anybody likes Dini, do they? <laughs> you mean people at school or readers? Readers, because the kids don't know what she's really thinking. I don't think I ever thought Dini was a nice person. Even at the end, she's still, I, I, it's not that I didn't think she was nice. I just didn't, I think she just was flawed, real. And I think she was, and that's Judy Bloom. very much that's her signature thing where there are characters that you're just not going to like. This happens to be the main character, but Blubber, she's very, very similar. Jill and Blubber is an absolute nightmare. That book, I felt like I really, she could be, she targets a girl who is perceived to be overweight. They beat her up in the bathroom. I mean, you know, um, the 70s was a very gritty time. Very gritty. What else can I say that hasn't been said? It's it's gritty, and kids were really horrible to each other. Kids are like everybody else. They have thoughts that aren't great. For me specifically, characters who who are flawed or who who especially girls who are unlikable. I mean, I've written two books with characters who are extremely unlikable and have thoughts that I wouldn't say are maybe as offensive as these, but I embrace those people because I, I feel like they are part of human nature. They, those thoughts happen, but I don't think if Dini is ever someone I, I was like, Oh, she's so awesome. Deanie's, you know, she's, <laughs> she's really unlikable. She goes through this situation and I'm interested in her story, but Deanie as a person, no. Yeah. And I think when I was a kid, I felt that way too. I think I thought she was like a bitch when I read it. She is kind of. Yeah. She is. I think that's how I felt. And I'm sorry if I'm like being so blunt about her, but I think she's, um, I think she's also, you know, I think that there's a line between being offensive, right. And turning people off. And I don't know if that, how you write that kind of person, you know, in today's world, I think RJ Palacio did, obviously did an incredible job in wonder but then particularly when she wrote the uh julian papers mm -hmm. which is from Ju the bully julian his perspective of why he 
bullied Augie. And he he really, for anyone who hasn't read Wonder, it's about a little boy who has an eye deformity, um, gets bullied by this boy named Julian in school. So when she wrote the Julian papers, I remember at the time my son was maybe like 12 or so. And we read that together and it was it was just a Kindle little side book. Now I think she has it in like a short story collection with a few other um, short stories about the some of the other characters, the backstory. But I thought that was such a smart way to handle somebody who is so unlikable and what's their what what that's about and where that comes from. It's like that origin story that we all love now. You know, where did Maleficent come from? Where did all of these like I said, origin stories. And I think with Deanie, like for instance, just going back to where she is repulsed by this girl who has this skin disease, she she's scared that she's going to get it. I'm not saying that's okay, but I don't think that kids are, I think that kids have those thoughts, especially in the 70s when they didn't talk about these things. These things were just not spoken about. You were supposed to just, it was still very like, tut tut move on you know some kids were in therapy and the, their parents were like messed up you know other kids were like you had to just grin and bear it i think it's kind of cool that Deanie, once the doctor is like no you can't catch this and this is from because you refuse to wear an undershirt under your brace and i think that Deanie then starts to actually she likes this girl because she realizes oh i can't catch it from her and i wish i hadn't Right? Doesn't she say something like, I wish I didn't think that? I wish I hadn't had that feeling about her. I think she does express yeah, so I, like explicitly. Yeah. And so I think that that's also important, right? So it's a really ugly side of humanity. But I think if it's done well, I think at least with that, I, you know, we could go back and look at every single other time when Deanie is kind of ugly about these things. But she was brought up to be that way also. Physical appearance to Deanie was the most important thing. This was more important to her mother than her grades or anything else. So, of course, this was going to be a kid who looked at disabilities with, you know, being repulsed by disabilities. And, you know, it, that's the hard part about writing a character like this. So, yeah. Yeah. Those are all of my thoughts. Those are, that's a good perspective. I mean, <laughs> I mean, a protagonist can be a protagonist and still be unlikable and still maybe not even maybe even be worse than unlikable like a protagonist can be a protagonist even if they're not a good person they just have to be like the main it just has to be their story and it is a Deanie's story and there are parts of Deanie that are relatable and there are parts of Deanie that are unlikable and the truth is that probably a lot of the things about Deanie that are unlikable are also the things that make her relatable so that is the truth and I'm very excited wait no what was Deanie's catchphrase. And that's the truth. Yes. <laughs> so that worked out really well to wrap up that conversation. Haley, I'm so excited to ask you this question because I didn't get to last time because it was a New Reads November episode. So this is the big SSR question. On the whole, taking everything into consideration that we've talked about, how would you compare the experience of coming back to Deanie for this episode to your memories of reading the book when you were a kid? Does it hold up? Do you feel disappointed somewhere in the middle? It's always a little nuanced, I know. But on the whole, what do you think about it? Oh, man, this is a tough one. I don't know. I don't I, I just don't know. I don't know if I could say I was trying to think, you know, because I have a 12 year old daughter. And so this is like a perfect age for her to read this. And I think I would be curious to hear her thoughts, but I think I probably know them, that she would feel like, ah, probably similar to me. Deanie isn't that great. And it's interesting, like her story is interesting, but um, I'm not sure if it holds up quite the same way. I was really disturbed by her mom in this book, way more so now as an adult. So does it hold up? I don't, I don't think it does. Kind of breaks my heart to say that, but yeah. I don't think it does. Not this one. Of course, other Judy Blooms, Are You There, God, which I have done read with my daughter. But And even Blubber, I think it's a great backstory of a bully. Um, forever, yeah. I mean, but Deanie, I don't, I don't think so. What did you think? I mean, I think this is a tough one, would be how I would 
sum it up, we've talked about a lot of Judy Bloom books on the podcast, and I'll link to several of them in the show notes for those who want to check it out. And I, they hold up to various degrees. I think this is a tough one. I think in terms of language, I think in terms of just even like the medical part of it, like so much of the way that we tackle things is different. And so I think that makes this inherently feel dated and the judgments that Dini is making about having this particular condition are not judgments that are necessarily like integral to that kind of diagnosis today. So it's just, it's, it, there's a lot of different pieces of it that I think are fundamentally dated. I think the fact that Judy Bloom explores some of these subjects, that's always going to be timeless. Like, I love the fact that this is a book that's really about a girl's body, like mm-hmm. the things that are exciting about it and the things that are challenging about it. And that does not go out of style, but this in terms of the language and the specifics, I do think is a challenge. So I would agree with you. But other than Dini, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our SSR listeners? Mm, Okay, I'm reading The Turnout by Megan Abbott, also about bodies and um, women um, and their bodies and ballet dancers. I just finished The Other Black Girl, which is just a fantastic satire, incredible. What else do I have on my... Um, what other book have I been reading? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to email you and tell you about some other, there's a lot of books I've been reading actually online. And so if I don't have it in front of me, like my mind just goes. Yeah. One of my favorite things whenever I ask somebody this question is inevitably the person will like lean over there, like will lean in a weird way, like try to see what's on their shelf. Like people just get their bodies into all kinds of weird positions, trying to see wherever their books are. And I always am like trying to picture like where the person shot. Like, I just love to be like, what are you looking at? That's one of my favorite things about that question. Yeah. But today is a very big day for you, Haley. The day this episode drops, October 5th, you have a new book out in the world. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations. Can you tell us about it? Yes, thank you so much. I wrote a book called The Falling Girls. It's my second YA book. And The Falling Girls is about um, Shade and Jadis. They are two best friends and they're juniors in high school. They are like the kinds of best friends that are completely inseparable. They sleep in the same bed together. They share each other's clothes. They share deodorant, toothbrushes. They even give each other stick and poke tattoos. There's nothing that these girls don't do together and they're completely entangled. But Shade has a little bit of a backstory where she was a gymnast and she was a really good gymnast. And so she's kind of obsessed with the cheerleaders and Jadis is much more of the wild child, one of them. And still like Shade drags Jadis along to these cheerleading like pep rallies. And she's like, we have to watch the cheerleaders. You have to go to the pep rally with me. So Jadis is very used to all this. But then one day, Uh, Shade decides that she wants to join the cheerleading team. She can do that. She like wants to use her body, talking about female bodies. She wants to use her body in that way. She wants to feel powerful. And I, and she also really wants to, I think, sort of take a little bit of a break from her intense friendship with Jadis. And so she gets very pulled into um, the cheerleading team, um, especially drawn into this group of uh, three girls who aren't the nicest and they're all named Chloe. So everyone calls them the three Chloe's. Um, and yes, that was completely just taken right from Heather's because that influenced my entire life. I love it. I also feel like we probably are living in an age when there are a lot of Chloe's who a are in high school. Yeah. A lot of Chloe's. And so she becomes extremely close with like the head cheerleader who's the head of the three Chloe's, Chloe Orbach. And, um, you know, Jadis is very jealous of this situation. She feels super betrayed and she just just like can't believe that Shade is immersing herself with these girls. And so Shade then one day decides to like bring Jadis, asks Jadis if she'll go to the homecoming dance with her because you know, this is like has to be huge in Shade's world, even if she doesn't want to go to this homecoming dance. She's like, I have to go. I'm a freaking cheerleader. And so Jadis goes with her. And, you know, like at first, it's kind of great. Jadis is wearing like a tux- a tuxedo and, you know, they're having fun dancing. And then all of a sudden, one of um, the cheerleaders dies. And then all hell breaks loose. because <sighs> Shade is like, you know, what happened to one of these cheerleaders and is it Jadis that, that did it, you know, and if Jadis hurt one of these girls, then 
inevitably do I have something to do with this and am I to blame? So it's a deep psychological thriller about, you know, it's a whodunit kind of is, but it's also about these intense friendships and, and how girls can be really intoxicated by each other. And when it's also about friendship breakups and about sort of how to, you know, about being in a friendship and feeling a little stuck. So there's a lot of themes going on there so that I, I feel very, I'm really excited about this book and I can't wait for people to read it and discuss it and hopefully tear it apart like we've done with Judy Bloom. That sounds fantastic. There's so much going on in this book. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. We are running a giveaway. Um, so if you're listening to this episode the week it drops, make sure you come on over to SSR's Instagram I'm going to be handing out a few copies to a few lucky winners. Haley, it was so nice to chat with you again. I hope that you just keep writing books every year so that we can keep having you on the show every year. <laughs> or have me on if I don't write a book. You're welcome to come on if you don't write a book. I would love to have you. I just know writers sometimes don't want to do the interviews when they're writing. It's like part of the flow, but you are welcome anytime. This is so great. I loved, I loved talking to you about Dini. I loved it. I love talking to you about Dini. Thank you so much. And congratulations so much on that book. I will talk to you soon. Bye, Allie. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.